I hope you all doing well and uh, ready for Christmas. It's upon us with uh, all the things that come along with Christmas. We are we're going to be focusing on the Christmas story next week. Uh, if you're wondering why we haven't uh, really spent a whole lot of time, but we're going to deal with some Christmas elements today and helping us understand um, our last verse in the longest narrative that God delivers in the book of Joshua. So if you have your Bible with you, whether you have a physical book or it's on some sort of electronic device, you want to make your way to Joshua chapter 1. We are once again going to be spending our time in one verse this morning. That'll be in verse 9. It is going to wrap up the opening, as I said, of the longest narrative by God within the entire book of Joshua. And we're just kind of walking through what God has been saying to Joshua and the Israelites to prepare them for the road ahead. Uh, for the promise that he is taking them into. Um, as you make your way there, you know, I'm sure many of us have heard by now uh, that there is beginning a outcry against some of our, maybe some of our favorite Christmas songs this time of year. Um, you may have heard on the radio or seen a video about it that the song Baby It's Cold Outside has been banned uh, by many uh, public radios, by many schools as well. Our uh, oldest niece was down uh, with my folks this weekend, and she said that they can't sing that song in the halls or at school, or they get in trouble for it. And I mean, it's rightly so. If you don't know, if you're not familiar with that song, I'm not going to say you know go and and Google it. And um, but it, it, there's some odd lyrics in it. I mean, let's just be honest. There are some odd lyrics in the song. But as I was thinking about that and thinking about where we're going this morning, I, I thought, why stop there? Why stop with just that particular song? Because there are some songs, or one in particular song, about Mr. Claus that I think uh, could be banned as well. Um, I mean, just listen to this. He sees you when you're sleeping. Exactly. Stalking. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been... Bad or good, so be. And yeah, but I think that's more anger right there. <laughs> be good for goodness. I mean, come on, parents, can you relate right about now? I mean, this song is about an elderly gentleman who wears a red sweatsuit, sneaks into our homes at night while we're sleeping, and steals food. What? I don't, but I notice food is missing by the time I wake up. Um, here is an elderly gentleman who surrounds himself with short, childlike people. He outsources all of his workload to mythical creatures, and he has no concern for trade laws. I bet his favorite song is the police's I'll Be Watching You. And yet we celebrate him every year. We place him on bulletin boards. We have T-shirts with him on, on them. And then we wonder on Christmas Eve why our kids cannot fall asleep before Christmas with the thought that there is an elderly gentleman who is a stranger that is watching them. If this song was about any other gentleman on this earth, would we sing it and celebrate it? Exactly. And so I'm saying with, with, with songs, we're going to start banning stuff. Let's start, you know, looking at every song that we sing and make sure that, you know, it is appropriate. Um, 
But in this song, Santa Claus is coming to town. Within the song, Santa Claus is coming to town, which I'm sure you've heard it by now on the radio, or you sang it by now, or, or you're going to sing it. There's an important truth that speaks about Santa that is actually an important truth we need to understand about God, that God is trying to deliver to his people here in Joshua chapter 1. And that is about his presence. Now, if you have your Bible with you, let's read the verse 9 of chapter 1. And the word of the Lord says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Again, we, we, we have this phrase, be strong and courageous. This is the third time within the first chapter that God has said this to the Israelites and said it to Joshua. But what he's saying here in verse 9 is he is laying out some very important attributes and characteristics about his presence that is going to be upon his people's life that is upon us today if we have called upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so I want us to talk about the omnipresence of God, the omnipotence of God, and the omniscience of God, and what that means and how God is saying that in this one verse to, to Joshua and Israelites. The opening in verse 9 begins with what is known as a rhetorical question. It's not a question in which God is asking for an answer, have I not commanded you? He's simply making a statement to bring them back to the recollection of what He's already spoken over them as they get ready to go into the promise. When He says for them to be strong, He's telling them that He wants them to be firm in who they are within the promise of God, but not only just to be firm in that, but to continue to grow in the strength as they continue to grow in their understanding of who He is. When God says you need to be courageous, He is commanding them that they need to be alert physically, spiritually, and mentally. So as they head out into this moment of faith and this moment of trusting God, that they can be secure and established upon His presence and His Word that He has given them. The exact opposite is what he's telling him in verse 9. I want you to be strong and courageous because I do not want you to be frightened and I do not want you to be dismayed. The word frightened means that God does not want his people to be a people of fear. That the reverence that they could have to a certain situation or another people group was to be reserved for him alone. To be frightened or to be dismayed is to be shattered in spirit. As they were to look into the land and they were going to spy out it once again and see that this land is fortified cities and these people are, are armies and nations and kings, that they are not to be shattered in spirit to the point of being broken. And so God, in order for the, His people to be able to have this outlook and this outcome in life of being strong and courageous, what He does is not point to their ability. He does not point to what they bring to the table. But he points to what he has given them and he points to that his, his continual presence was going to be upon them. There's going to be a change in the Israelites' life. Moses is dead. Chapter, or verse 1, chapter 1 clearly states that. What Moses did is he interceded on behalf of the Israelites. He had a tent set up where he would go and meet with God and God would speak to him and he would deliver that to the people. That's changed. Now God says you have my law, the book of my law, which I have given to my servant Moses and is to be read to you. You have that going with you. As they cross the Jordan River, the Bible lets us know that the manna, which they've been having for 40 years, has been given to them every single day except for the day of the Sabbath. 
For 40 years, they relied upon that for nourishment and food. And it's believed when the manna stopped once they crossed the Jordan River, it is also going to be at that time that the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day that has led them for the last 40 years out of Egypt is also going to be done. And so change is in the air. And like us, I'm sure they did not relate to change very well. When things happen in our life, we change. It brings up doubts and fears and uncertainties and questions. And what God does in in calming their fears, He promises their presence. The word omni means all. And here in verse 9, God speaks about His omnipresence, His omnipotence, and His omniscience. Omnipresent. Omni being all, omnipresent means that God is all present. He is everywhere. To say God is omnipotent is to say God is all powerful. To say he is omniscient or omniscience, if if that helps you, say that God is all knowing. And so God speaks over his people, say, look, I am all these things and I am all these things to you. And how do we get this? Well, we get these from the name of God itself here in verse 9. The end of verse 9 says, The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now the name God there in verse 9 is the name Elohim. And the names of God in Scripture aren't just to give us a name that we can say out in prayer. It reveals who God is. It reveals His unchangeable character, His unchangeable nature. It's how we can know Him and how He reacts and how He responds in our life and what He will and won't do. And so when God says that I am God, I am Elohim, he is speaking that of the God of creation. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created. And if you go back to Genesis 1 and you read how God created, he spoke everything into being. It shows that his power of speaking things into being, his omnipotence, but it also speaks of his knowledge, his omniscience or his omniscience. Because God knew in speaking everything into being exactly how everything could work. So when he's saying, I am the Lord, your God, he's not just delivering another statement. He's saying that I am the God of creation, the God of all power, the God of all wisdom. And I'm going to be with you. Many of us, we're going to be giving presents to our kids, I'm assuming. I mean, that's between you and your kid. Um, But I can remember... Several years ago, we gave a present to Abby. And I can't remember if it was birthday or Christmas, so Jamie can help me out later, and she'll, she'll tell me in the car. Um, but <laughs> not now. Um, but uh, we, we got Abby this uh, Cinder, Cinderella, maybe a Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty castle for her Barbie dolls. And it, it stood about, like, I don't know, four feet tall, and it's being used right now in her closet, so... Um, I remember getting this box. I remember her opening it and being so excited because she had all these princess dolls to go with it and she was going to play and just put all these stories together and we were excited to give it to her. And then if you, maybe you're a parent you can relate to this. As I pulled all the pieces out of the box and I looked at this one sheet of paper that was thinner than this and it was one-sided like this and I, and I looked at that and And I saw the instructions, and then I looked at the pieces, and what I realized is that the pieces on the instruction paper did not match the pieces to which I pulled out of the box. They weren't even labeled the right way. 
And so here I am with this, this box, which my daughter is overly excited to want to play with, with this stuff, and I'm trying to fit this stuff together by using the picture that came on the box. You ever been there? And, and, and to add to the frustration, she, you know, she's excited, so she keeps asking, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Are you done? I'm like every five minutes, and I'm trying to stay jolly because I don't remember if it was Christmas or her birthday, but I'm, I know she's really excited. Eventually, I get this thing together, but I remember it taking me hours to do so. And as I think about that and putting that thing together, maybe you've done that with like a, a piece of furniture you've gotten from a box or a store that, you know, some assembly required means all assembly required. And, and, and you start to put that together, you become frustrated because place, pieces don't match and pieces don't fit the way they're supposed to fit. That just gives me the understanding that I'm not God. Because I can't figure out things that are supposed to come out of a box with instructions, and yet God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, spoke everything into being and put together everything perfectly the way it was supposed to be, like no other place in this universe, so that we could have life here. That God speaks over us that his presence is upon us wherever we go and will never leave us. And Jesus said the exact same thing in Matthew 28, that I will be with you to the very end of the age. This is a huge promise because God is declaring his full allegiance to you and me. Think about that. The almighty, all-powerful God is fully pledging his allegiance to you, to me. His physical presence, his spiritual presence. And as we get ready to come to this table here in a little bit, and we're called to remember what Jesus Christ did for us in dying and rising again from the dead. We're to remember that God fully declared his allegiance to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Physically and spiritually. I'm with you wherever you go. Now the name Lord here, hopefully in, in your Bible that you're reading from, it may not be in the electronic devices because I don't remember it being in mine, but it should be in all caps, L being a large cap and O-R-D being in a smaller cap. That's to speak of the covenantal name of God. It's Yahweh. It's the name to which God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It means I am who I am. It literally means to be. It is a name of God to saying I am the self-existing one. I am the covenantal God. And I am the God, the Lord, who has set you apart by placing my name upon you. So as Israelites are already going through the promised land, the name God, which is Elohim, the, the nations in the promised land had gods. They had Elohims. They had gods, which they called Adonais. But they did not have a God who was Lord. And so when the Lord says, I am with you wherever you go, he is saying that I have made you unique I have set you apart, and what has made you unique and set apart is because my name, Yahweh, is upon you. I'm fully pledging my allegiance to you, and this is why God calls us as Christians to fully pledge our allegiance to him. 
As the Lord is setting the Israelites apart here in Joshua, so we are set apart by Jesus Christ and our faith in Him and Him alone. This is what makes Christianity different from all other world religions. All other world religions say that I have to work, I have to do something, I have to rise to a certain level of karma, a certain level of nirvana, and I have to get there on my own means, my own power. But Christianity is completely different. Because Christianity says that the Lord God did it all for us, completely. It is finished. And when I place my faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, for my salvation, it's not about what I bring to the table, it's not about what I can do. God sets me apart. He claims me. And He sets His presence in me. And he promises the same promise as we go out in faith and in trusting God, which Israelites are having to do in this moment, that I am with you. Paul understood this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's because God's presence was upon Paul, and Paul understood that presence. He goes on to write, beginning in verse 35, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul understood. And you know how Paul understood that? It's because of God's allegiance and God's presence upon his life. God has pledged himself to us through Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you haven't yet to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. God is fully aware of you, but his presence is not upon you. And you are not separated from this world in the way he wants you to be. You're lost. And as you head out into uncertainty and in, in, in the unknown, His presence does not go with you in the same way as He goes with His children. He's not with you wherever you go. The psalmist understood the presence of God was upon him. In Psalm chapter 27, verse 1, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, and whom shall I be afraid? As the Israelites are getting ready to go across the Jordan River, and we haven't even gotten to that part yet. What God is declaring to them as they step out, and things are going to change. Leadership has changed. The way God reveals Himself has changed. The way God is going to lead them has changed. What He reveals is His presence knows no boundaries. We can outlaw God in schools. We can outlaw God in government. We can outlaw God wherever we want to outlaw God. But that does not change the fact that His presence does not stop because we make laws. It knows no boundaries. And wherever you find yourself in the remainder of this week and the remainder of this year, you understand that if you're a child of God, God's presence is upon you. It will never leave you or forsake you. There's a couple things I want us to take from the presence of God, which God is wanting to drive home to the Israelites here, that He's driving home to us as well. The presence of God upon Joshua and the Israelites is to give them a means of security. 
God was proclaiming his attachment to his people. And God has done the same thing through us through Jesus Christ. That we are now securely attached to God to which nothing can separate us from his love. That's what we call eternal security. God will not abandon us. He will not forsake us. He will not leave us. We are secure in him. We are secure that he goes with us wherever we go. That's a beautiful thing in the gospel. And because we know that everything belongs to God and we belong to God, we know that we can be secure in his presence and secure no matter what situation we find ourselves in. The second thing that God is saying when he says, I'm the Lord your God and I'm with you wherever you go, is that it is meant to impact their life like our life in the means of boldness. In Romans chapter 8, Psalm 27, we talk about, you know, whom shall I fear? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But if you read in the book of Acts, you find that the early believers met a lot of persecution. But when they met that persecution, they didn't hunker back and hide. They got together and they praised Jesus. They praised God that they may be able to suffer like their Lord and Savior. And then the very next thing, numerous times throughout Acts, is they prayed for more boldness. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be bold in this moment, but give us more boldness. Allow us to preach with more confidence. Lord, allow us not to conceal anything. And this is what God is saying to the Israelites in this moment, is my presence is upon you. You are to be bold and not to conceal the fact that you belong to me. We are called to be bold in our faith in a world that is becoming more and more opposed to who God is and the people that represent Him. And the sad thing is, is so many Christians in America don't face nearly the persecution that other Christians face in other parts of the world. And yet we can seem to conceal our faith and conceal the fact that God's presence is upon us more than other people in the world. The presence of God is to give us boldness and faith so when the world tries to pressure us to be quiet or not to be extreme, we don't have to be scared of it. God is with me. His word is upon me. His word is in me. I shall be bold for the faith. The presence of God is to remind the people of His, of his covenant. Like I mentioned, the name Lord would have taken the Israelites back to Exodus chapter 3, would have been Exodus 3 to them, but it had been that event where Moses comes to the burning bush and God declares who he is. I am who I am. I, I am Yahweh. I am the, the covenantal God. And so this name Lord is reminding them of God, of his promises, of his faithfulness, of his covenant upon his people is to connect the commissioning of Moses to go and deliver his people from, from Egypt in bondage to the commissioning of Joshua to lead his people into the promise. The name Lord, when we call out to God as Lord and our God and say, you are the God of covenant, you are the God who is faithful to me, sometimes despite my lack of faith to you, you are always with me. Again, turning back to Paul in Romans chapter 6, Paul understood the covenantal relationship to which we are called into through Jesus Christ. He writes in chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, he says, Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though have been brought from, from death to life 
and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Fourth thing that God is trying to sing upon or declare upon His people here is to bring them into a place of reverence. Just as Moses approached the burning bush and he had to take off his sandals because he's on holy ground, that's what the name Lord is to speak upon His people. That you are to have reverence towards me. Now, we don't use that word very often. The word reverence means to have a fear, but not like a scary movie fear, like a fear of being in awe of something. It's to be captivated by it. It's to cause a response in our life that leads us to a certain action. Uh, Ethan is uh, 12 now, right? You're 12? Carry the one. Yeah. Um, about 10 years ago, about 10 years ago to the, to the day, um, we lived in Illinois, and we decided we were going to go to this mall that was, it wasn't very busy. Um, it was a nice mall, but it just wasn't very busy. There wasn't a lot of traffic. And Ethan was learned, you know, he had learned to walk and was working his way out of the stroller. So we decided we'd take him to the mall and just kind of let him loose. And he did pretty good. He kept up with the wall, mall walkers, you know, he was keeping pace, passed a few of them, doing awesome. Um, and he just... You know, you know, toddlers walk. Um, so it was really cute, and we were enjoying our time, just kind of walking around. We didn't have him on any of those, like, you know, child leashes or anything like that. Um, but as we are walking through the mall, we approached the, the center part of the mall. And it was this time of year, and so it was Christmas. And as we walk up, you know, Ethan being a little kid, he saw the Christmas tree and the lights and the bows. And just like any kid at that point in time, you know, just be like, oh, you know, just amazed by the beauty and as he's standing there, and we're kind of taking it in as, you know, parents of a little toddler, and we're like, oh, he's just so cute, and oh, yeah, we, that's so awesome. From the middle of this courtroom is where uh, the jolly stalker sat. And uh, as Ethan is taking in the beauty, this deep, baritone voice I see you, boy. And Ethan's jaw goes up. His face clenches. He runs back to mommy and daddy and asks us to pick us up. And he's, he's like head on shoulder in complete fear. This, this jolly old Saint Nick had completely scared our child. And Ethan may not know the psychological damage that this is... Uh, put on him, but we have no pictures of Ethan sitting on Santa's lap ever. Matter of fact, anytime we go to an event and Santa's there, if Santa gets a wave, that's good for Ethan. It, it, I mean, just that, that's all you get, buddy. I mean, Abby's different. She'll jump on Santa's lap. She'll like rattle off the 101 things she wants for Christmas and all, but this has deeply affected Ethan to the point that he, has the, he had this fear of Santa Claus anytime we went anywhere. And as we walked on and we were holding our child and hopefully he wouldn't like start crying and all that stuff, we walked on. Eventually he wanted back in into the walking action. So we placed him down. We made the one in the mall and we started making our way back to go to our car. He remembered this unjolly St. Nick sat in the middle of the court and as we approached Yeri, he made a point to walk behind it so he wouldn't see him. Santa, it impacted him. It, it put a fear and a reverence in his heart. 
that's what the presence of God upon us is to do. Is to impact us in such a way that it changes our relationship with Him. It changes our relationship with people. It changes what we do and how we do it. The word fear, again, is to have a reverence. And to have a fear of God is about His presence because and it's a reassurance, but it's also a fear in our hearts. It's a reassurance because no matter where we go, no matter what we do, there's nothing that God is unaware of. There's nothing we go through to which God is not there with us. But then the fear aspect is, is no matter where we go, no matter what we do, there's nothing that God is not aware of. He is fully aware of us. He is fully captivated by us. The psalmist understood this in Psalm chapter 8. He says, When I looked to your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set into place, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him? You're God. You're Lord. And yet, I'm on your mind. That should move us to a place of reverence, but finally to a place of worship and obedience. We have a God that doesn't just save us and leave us. We have a God who saves us and engulfs us. He doesn't have to. God doesn't need us for anything. He's God. And yet He wants us. And He calls us deeper into a relationship with Him. He calls us deeper into holiness. He calls us into a deeper place of transformation and a deeper awareness of His presence. And so the fact that His presence is upon us should be what motivates our worship in this place, but it also should be what motivates our obedience as we live out in the world as His people. God wanted the Israelites as they head into the promised land to be a people set apart so all the peoples of the world would look upon them and know that He is God. And that's God's same goal today. For people to look upon those who've called upon Jesus Christ and call themselves Christians, to know that the presence of God is upon them and know that He is God. It comes with understanding that His presence is upon us. As we come to this table, we're reminded that the presence of God is upon us through Jesus Christ. And this presence was a full declaration of God's love. The Bible says this, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, the, the replacement, the substitution for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As we come to the table, this is what we're coming to remember. God's presence is upon us. He is with us, will never leave us or forsake us. And that should change us, just like the initial change we had with Jesus Christ. It should be continuing to transform us in what the Bible calls to sanctify us, to set us apart from this world. You may be here this morning, and you've yet to accept Jesus Christ, and part of the change that needs to happen is that's what needs to happen in your life. Come this time of Christmas, but it's also a time of invitation. This table is not for everyone here. It's not. If you're not a child of God, this isn't for you. But that can change in this moment. 
God is inviting you not to come to the table, but to come into a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. The Bible says that begins by first admitting that I'm a sinner. Admitting there are some things that I kind of wish God didn't go with me in. There's some things I wish I, I didn't do. That's what the Bible calls sins. It's falling short of God's holiness and His perfection. And we all do it. The Bible says I can't work my sin out of me. I can't be good enough. I can't be, uh, do enough stuff for the church or give enough money. It is only through Jesus Christ to which I can be saved and forgiven for all of my sins. The Bible says when I believe that God is for me that much, God loves me that much, that He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for my sins, they placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later to forgive me completely for my sins. And I believe that in my heart, the Bible says I need to confess it with my mouth and I will be saved. You may be here this morning and that's exactly what you need to do. You've heard the story. You know the story of Christmas. You know the story of Easter. You know what the cross represents. But you personally have yet to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So we come to the table. First, we're going to come to a time of invitation. Ms. Jackson, are you ready to come up and lead us? If that's you, I just want you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. I want Jesus. I want God's presence over my life. We'll pray together and we'll celebrate together. Maybe you're here this morning and you've already accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. But there's things in your life and places you've been and actions you've had, maybe words you've said that have not been representing the presence of God upon your life. And you need to repent of that. You need to come before your Father who is committed to you and commit those things to, to him and ask for his forgiveness. That's also part about coming to the table as brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God. Maybe someone here this morning, you have a relationship that is damaged with somebody else. You need to mend that relationship before you come and remember what Jesus Christ did for you. But this is time to respond. I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for promising us the same promise, Lord, that you're upon us. Your presence is with us, Lord. The promise that your spirit is inside of us. We are now a temple belonging to you. And Lord, we don't deserve it. Father, forgive me for the places that I've taken your presence. Forgive me for the way I've acted knowing that your presence is upon me and who I am representing as a Christian. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here this morning. Lord, you know we stumble. You know we fall. There's nothing hidden from your sight. We come to this place just to respond in reverence and awe of you and to worship you. That we're not just hearers of your word, but doers. Father, I pray in this moment for those that are here this morning who have yet to accept you as your Lord and Savior. Father, I pray that your spirit would move in such a way upon their heart and their mind that they have full clarity of what they should do in this moment and coming forward to accept you. Thank you for this incredible gift of love you've given us. Thank you for this time that we come to continue to worship you in song, but also worship you in action. We pray us all in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to stand, I invite you to come.